Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, God bless you. Yeah, just a word of explanation. You know, we, we had hoped to build an addition on this building. Uh, that goal wasn't attained, but in God's providence, would you look around the room right now? We don't need an addition. <laughs> we didn't know that three years ago when we set the goals, but God did. And what we did accomplish is that we are completely debt-free, uh, Yeah, which is amazing. And the, the ultimate goal was to position each congregation to grow, and this really does now position us to grow both here in Vandalia. We have many plans for our Vine uh, Ministry Center, and uh, the, uh, this church is going to continue to grow as we continue to reach this neighborhood. And so it is a celebration and God has done amazing things through your faithfulness. So thank you so, so much. We are continuing actually finishing the Advent series and um, there we go. Helps if I turned it on. So what are you looking for? What are you expecting? What are you hoping for? Think about it. Most of us, there's something in your heart, in your mind. There's something you desire that you don't have yet. Is there something you desire that you don't have yet? Are you looking forward to anything? Only a couple of people raised their hands. You should be looking forward to stuff. You know, and uh, through life, things change. <clears throat> when you're a kid, what do you look forward to? You look forward to your birthday, to get gifts. You look forward to Christmas, at least I did as a kid. In my house, as growing up, uh, uh, I had um, three older brothers, a younger sister. And when we came out of our uh, bedrooms, the living room, because there were so many of us, uh, you could barely see the tree for the gifts that were piled around it. And we would attack it uh, you know, ravenously and rip the packages open. And so we look forward. I look forward to birthdays. I remember looking forward to going to school, you know, at the end of the summer. You're kind of looking forward to it. Then you get in school, and the whole time you're in school, what are you looking forward to? Getting out of school or graduating or then going to college. I, I remember really clearly, this was a big part of my uh, early years, uh, looking forward to living on my own. And, um, you know, I, I worked in a, a grocery store. Actually, my parents owned a small uh, grocery store. Ended up also working in a larger grocery store. And I would like, boy, when, I, when I'm living on my own, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy that and make that for supper, you know. And thank you. <laughs> and, of course, once I get on my own, what do you think of next? You know, oh, I can't wait to get married and, you know, have someone to live with and, and have kids and, uh, you know, each, 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 there's always something in our heart, getting a car, getting a house, getting a better house. We're looking forward to that. We celebrate that. Getting into your career. Oh, you know, once you have kids, the kids grow up, there's an inkling for grandkids, and grandkids come, and that's great. And stage of life where you're looking forward to retirement. Maybe some of us here in the room are looking forward to that. And many people spend much of their career looking forward to the end of their career, and what they're going to do afterwards. Every stage of life has something that, um, you know, there's another thing that we're looking forward to, and that's appropriate. That's how we're 
wired. And if we're not, it's probably indicative of an emotional problem. Maybe you need some counseling. Maybe you're depressed. Uh, there's no horizon in your life. There's nothing, uh, no expectation. And that's not a healthy thing. It's actually healthy that we have something to look forward to. But all of the things in this, this life, all those things I just talked about, although they're good, they're temporary. Even marriage, till death do you part. Certainly a house or a car, you know, cars don't last that long. Although I tried to get mine to last quite long. My big van's still going, it's 20 years old. (laughs) All of those things are temporary. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross and follow me. That's how Jesus did salvation calls. It wasn't just come to the altar and, and, and kneel. It wasn't just say this prayer after me. These two words, follow me. Follow me. Pattern your life after me. And, and here it's take up your cross and follow me. And he was foreshadowing what was going to happen to him in a short time where he would carry his cross and he would die on that cross. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what <clears throat> do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to his deeds. Now, many of us are familiar with take up your cross and carry it and follow me. But Jesus said that in the context of speaking about his return. For the Son of Man will come. In other words, I said all of this, and you have to do that. You have to follow me. You have to reckon all things less valuable, less important than your soul. You have to take up your cross and carry it because the Son of Man is coming with his angels and the glory of the Father to judge. He's talking about his return. So Jesus challenges his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a Christ follower? Then he's challenging you to get your priorities right. Our souls, the things that affect our soul. That's why it took a whole month just recently to talk about soul search and how to evaluate and measure where your soul is. Your soul is the most important thing in your life. More valuable than everything this world has to offer. If you get the whole world... If you're like that Jeff Bezo guy, is that his name? Bezo. <laughs> Jeff, would you be a member of my church and tithe? <laughs> I know you're watching because you watch everything, right? It's like the internet thing. That dude can buy, he's got more money than most countries. The musky guy? Let's put a car out in space. Oh, yeah. 
Sure. You know, he did that. He put a Tesla in space. Good job, Elon. You can have all the money and do whatever you want. It isn't going to matter. You got to get your priorities right. What would you do if you had all that money? Put cars in space? <clears throat> so Jesus said you need to take up your cross and carry it. What? How do we do that? Is that how we live day to day? What, what does it actually look like in the 21st century to carry your cross? Remember, when Jesus said that, it wasn't a religious symbol. It was a death sentence. How about your neighbor, your coworker, or don't you know those people on the internet, the social media, have you heard about that? The ones you disagree with? How are they going to see you through your social media carrying your cross and dying to yourself? How do we do that in this world? How do you communicate love online? I found out just a few days ago Average American, which probably means most of you, spends two and a half hours a day on social media. How do we carry our cross and die to ourselves and be a representative of Jesus Christ in that medium? Because you know what? It's just, I'm not picking on you for doing that. I'm challenging you to do it in a way that communicates the message of Jesus Christ. And maybe do it a little less online and do it more in person. (laughs) But thank God that we can continue communicating and being in touch. Amen? Advent, this is all about Advent, saints. Advent means coming or arrival. That's what the word means. Christmas was a celebration of Christ's first coming when he came as a lowly child, the humble servant, the uh, the suffering king. But the advent that we're looking forward to now is Christ's return when he's revealed as the triumphant king. And we see a picture of this. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to explain a lot of this. But this is a prophetic image of what it will look like when Jesus returns. Now, the imagery in prophecy is prophetic. That means it may or may not be literal, but it's true. Do you understand that? In other words, whatever this says, the reality, this will just be like a, 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 a rendering of, of the reality in, in a little bit. The reality will be much, much more intense. So whether Jesus is actually on a big white horse, I don't know. But that's the image that it will portray. That's the truth that will be embodied when Christ comes uh, in his triumphant return. You know, 
Jesus rode a humble donkey when he entered into Jerusalem on his crucifixion, but when he returns as the triumphant king, he'll be riding a white horse. You see the difference there? And John saw this. He saw a glimpse, a prophetic glimpse of the reality that we will also see. It says, I saw heaven open and a white horse standing there. And its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. That's an interesting part. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Who's it talking about? Jesus. The armies of heaven dressed in finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe and and at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, when Jesus returns, no one is going to mistake his identity. And no one will be able to contend or refute his rule and authority. Because he's going to come like this. He's going to come in power. And it's a stark contrast to what we just celebrated when he came as that lowly infant. But the reality is Jesus doesn't change. It's not like Jesus came humble when he was here 2,000 years ago, but now he's going to come with power. Listen, Jesus revealed his power through his humility. He won the war on the cross, and this, when he returns, is going to be his victory march. But the war was won then. God never changes. Jesus is always the lion and the lamb. He's always... 100% just and 100% merciful. God never changes. He's not like uh, uh, happy one moment and angry the next moment. God in his capacity is always 100% everything that he is. We can't be that way. We are limited creatures and only have the capacity for a tiny little fraction of of, of, of the emotion and the understanding that God can comprehend and experience uh, simultaneously. And so Jesus, when he comes back, he's still going to be the humble servant, but he's also going to be the king of kings. And that's what we're looking forward to now, saints. Our hope, our expectation has to be rooted in that, the return of Jesus Christ. And nothing else. This verse here is a powerful verse. It's not preached on much because it's kind of a downer. (laughs) How many toots on your horn will you give me here? Or how many poppers will you pop? Paul writes, "If if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied or most miserable. Promise of Scripture you just want to hold on to. (laughs) Why would Paul write this? 
Why did God choose in his sovereign wisdom to put this in Scripture? Why is this in the Bible? Why is this written in the New Testament believers? Because it's true. It doesn't change. Too many Christians, can I be just honest here? Or, yeah, I got the mic and the clicker, and it's working. Too much of Christianity focuses on the benefits of following Jesus in this world. But they're all temporary. It's temporary things we enjoy, and they're important, but they're not primary. It's true that Jesus wants you to live an abundant life here and now. It's true that he wants you to prosper in all things. But you know what? Set that as your hope. You're going to be disappointed. I just finished the book by Andrew Brunson, who happens to be a friend of mine. Spent two years, almost two years in Turkish prison. And uh, I'm sorry it took so long to read. It was a powerful book, and I actually cried at certain parts of it. Because he suffered, and he learned a lesson there. And I'm like, wow. You know, how do we learn that lesson in our comfortable lives? Christians in Western affluent nations are just too comfortable. Listen, you are too comfortable. And I don't care where you're at in the economic scale. If you live in America, you are rich. All right, in so many ways. And we've gotten used to it to the point where we expect it. We become numb to the suffering that most of our forefathers in the faith and our brothers and sisters right now in persecuted and poor nations have to endure day in and day out. This guy I know on Facebook, I've never met him in person, but he's part of our international association, pastors of a church in Pakistan, and he actually is in the city where they, uh, where they found um, Osama bin Laden. All right? It's not a real friendly place for Christians. <laughs> it's very Muslim. I mean, that's where Osama chose to hide. And this guy is pastoring a church there. And I want to meet him. And I'd like to go support him. Because he just, he's just doing the work. He has these pictures where he does children's outreach. And he'll have 50, 60 kids. And there's nothing. It's dirt floor, brick walls with no roof. And he's just celebrating, uh, giving them something and reading the Bible to them. And, and they, they do so much with so little. And we have so much and do so little. This verse is a stern warning for us who get so comfortable in this life that we may risk the life to come. All right. Paul writes in another place to the church in Thessalonica. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will by no means proceed, precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's one of the descriptions of Christ's return. This is going to happen. We're either going to see it while we're alive, dead people coming up out of the ground, or we're going to be one of those dead people. 
coming up from the ground, brought back to life at Christ's return. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Ah, the expectation of Christ's return. This, this, not just the picture, not just this uh, myth, not just this uh, story. This is a truth. And this needs to be the foundation and the source of our comfort. This is what we, this needs to be our comfort food. Okay. When we're stressed, when we're just overwhelmed by the things of this life, what do you turn to? You need to turn to the reality that Jesus Christ is going to come back. For the early church, this was easy. It made sense because they were experiencing tribulation. You know, we've experienced a lot of tribulation. We've been forced to stay home. How about if you were forced to leave your home and never come back? And everything you own was taken away. Simply because you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That happened to our forefathers and it happens right now. My friend, Andrew Brunson, lost everything. Everything. Thankfully, he got released. But there's more martyrs now in this day than there ever has been. More Christians being in prisons worldwide than there ever has been. Do the research, it's true. So we can't find, we should not try to find enduring comfort in anything in this world. And the abundance that we live in, it, it, it intoxicates us. And so I'm, this, this, this message about Advent, the expectation of Christ's return, is to bring us out of that intoxication. We should be as expectant for Jesus' return, as the Hebrew people throughout the Old Testament were looking for the coming of the Messiah. You know, they built their whole life around that. But because they didn't have their expectations in line with God's word, they didn't recognize him. Don't do the same thing. Be expectant for Christ's return so that you're ready. The word comfort there, when, when Paul says comfort one another with this expectation of Christ's return can actually mean implore or console. It can mean exhort or comfort, right? And so we not only find consolation in difficult times uh, in the expectation of Christ's return, we also need to get stirred up. This word could be, say, get stirred up by this. Come on, get motivated by the reality that Jesus is going to come back, and you and I are going to see it. Peter talks about the same day in Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. It says, "The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night." In other words, you're not going to expect it, you're not, not going to see it coming. And so anybody predicting when, when it's going to be, don't listen to them. <clears throat> All right? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt. With fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. See how it's a prophetic picture and how the prophetic pictures change, but it's describing the same event. So all of these prophetic pictures are true. And when you experience it, you're going to go, that's exactly how Peter described it. That's exactly how Paul described it. That's exactly how John described it in Revelations. They're going to fit together. All right? The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, 
in expectation of that, since all these things are going to be dissolved, what kind of person should you be? What manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness in your Facebook post? Oh, I'm sorry. In your Twitter post. I mean, in your Instagram post. In the way you talk to your neighbors. In the way you uh, hand gesture the driver who cut you off. (laughs) In the way you tip the person who gives you food. In the way you talk to a person who is disabled. or of a different ethnicity or lifestyle than you. <clears throat> How ought you behave since all this stuff is going to get burned up? Looking for, it continues on, and hastening the coming day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. <clears throat> Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for uh, a new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's quickly go through this verse, uh, each part, and parse it out a little bit. Since all these things will be dissolved, everything in this world is going to be gone. Everything as you know it dissolves, gets burned up. That means all your possessions, all your accomplishments, you don't get to take any of your trophies into the next world. That Tesla somewhere out in space is going to be gone. The bank account that's in uh, uh, Bezos, Bezos, whatever his name is, <laughs> Jeff's account, prestige, everything. How might this truth affect our behavior? Okay, now it's not wrong to pursue wealth even and prestige. Actually, the Bible Encourage it. If you're a godly person, you will grow in stature, both with men and, and God. Our reputation should be known around the community that we're upright people, that we're influencers. All right? But how does it affect your behavior if you know everything you work so hard to accomplish in this life? Gone. In a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. How might it affect uh, our, how we think of our time, our money, our possessions? How much do you hold on to those things that can't be held on to? All right? How should we adjust our priorities? How should we respond to problems as well as successes differently if we know all of that is temporary? All right? Now, it's, 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 it's not temporary like it's going to all go away tomorrow. I mean, Jesus might come tomorrow. But, you know... Uh, you live as though he's going to come a thousand years from now, but you also need to be ready for him to come tomorrow. All right. And so when I when I first got saved, I was the, the group I was with. They they were all into predicting Jesus's return, right? And I was like, my my guess was I was pretty rock solid on it. I could argue it from scripture, spring of 1982. <laughs> My last name is right, but I'm not always right. Okay, you won't hear me say that often, <laughs> right? That was ridiculous, wasn't it? That was like a long time ago, 
in the early 80s. All right. So how do you deal with problems if you know that that problem is going to go away? I need to deal with the problem. I need to celebrate the success. But it's all temporary. How might it change your view of, so, uh, of current events and how you read the stuff that people post or what you post? Like It's like, yeah, I'm vested in this, but only, only in a temporary way. Because my hope is in something much, much greater. My king is coming. I don't trust in any man or system of mankind. Because those things are worldly and they will dissolve. But Jesus' reign will never dissolve. Make a difference in your life. It needs to make a difference. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day. Never preach this. I've heard other people preach this. You get to hear this for the first time. <clears throat> Looking for means anticipate and wait. That's what I've been talking about all, all morning. But hastening means that we urge it on or speed it up. So this verse seems to be saying that our faith and our behavior has the potential to quicken the return of the Lord. Do you realize that? Do you believe it? It's in Scripture that how Christians live has the power to quicken, to urge on, to hasten Christ's return. Now, this may be true objectively in that what we do actually changes history and causes Christ the time and the things to be prepared. I don't believe there's, there's a set date that like October 29th, 2319, Jesus is just going to come no matter what. <laughs> it's like it's in his Google calendar. He's got to do it. No, <clears throat> there, are, uh, there are a series of events that need to uh, be accomplished that will then usher in the end. And I believe that we, we can quicken it. Or it may mean subjectively that our experience is different. We get through this life more quickly because we're so tuned in and, and looking forward to his return that this life just, just passes by because we're less concerned with it. Either way, it's true. Either way, our faith and our behaviors hasten the coming of the Lord. Are you living that way? Are you living in a way that actually quickens Christ's return? Continues on, it says, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our entire earth needs to be focused, our entire lives need to be focused on this new heaven and the new earth that will, that will come with Christ's return. And, and I believe in the prayer, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to usher in kingdom truths here and now. And that's a popular teaching for the last 10 or 15 years. And I've taught it and I believe it and I practice it. But listen, everything here and now is going to be dissolved. It's going to be burned up. Because when Christ comes, he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And your experience of that new heaven and new earth is going to be based on your faith and your obedience here and now. So the here and now is important, but it's not what we're ultimately vested in. Does that make sense? All right. Full righteousness, complete freedom from sin, sickness, influence of Satan, and the world can only be experienced in the resurrection 
And this is how we are to live in that expectation, the anticipation. That's what the word hope means in the Bible, that we're anticipating, we're confident, and we put all of our confidence in that which is to come. And so temporary things like a pandemic, piece of cake. Economic turndown, we'll get through it. Imprisonment, no problem. It's hard, but we can get through. All these things are hard. They affect us, but not overly so. And we work uh, to, certainly, we dedicate our lives like Christ did to improve the lives of those around us and to do the best you can in your life, but you don't cling to it. Uh, we advocate for truth and justice and mercy in every realm of life and the political arena and economic arena. We, we fight for fairness. We education arena to, that, that influence our education system to, to, to teach truth and represent Christian principles. But we realize full righteousness only comes in the return of Christ. We enjoy life. We don't hold fast to it. We're willing to lay it down. Anything and everything in this life, let me ask you, are you willing to lay everything you have down in this life for the sake of Christ? I don't know if I am. After reading that book of my friend Andrew, he thought he was, but when he was sitting in, in that, those prisons with no hope of escape, he, he didn't have it. He didn't feel it. It's a challenge, folks. But that's how we're called to live. That's what Jesus meant when he said, carry your cross. Jim Elliott, the great uh, missionary who became a martyr, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That means give away what you have in this world. Invest it in the, in the life to come. And, and no one can take that from you. Jim Elliott lost his life. Like Jesus said, but he gained his life. He saved his soul. And through it, countless souls have come to the knowledge of Christ because of his testimony. Don't you want that to be your testimony?